A reading from Acts chapter 8. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they, claimed, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Grace and peace to you from God our Creator, from our Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit, the one who is present here with us now or wherever you go. So I will tell you, the very first time I ever taught a fifth grade First Communion class, uh, Seth was a fifth grader. And I was super excited about the lesson that I had spent all this time preparing. And I was, all these fifth graders and their parents came and I was super eager to be together with them. And I had really idyllic hopes for that morning. Um, these kids, I believed, were going to love the book of Exodus just as much as I did. So what actually happened was that Seth never really sat still. He never really stopped moving. And maybe you know a, a kid like this in your life. I think I may have been that kid, but sort of uh, put it out of my memory. And so at best, Seth didn't hear what I had to say, but I think probably more likely most of the class didn't hear what I had to say because there was just so much action that morning. Well, the next Sunday morning came when all of the kids were to take Holy Communion for the very first time. And Seth's very concerned parents found me just before worship and they pulled me aside and they were pretty concerned. Um, and so they said to me, you know, because of his behavior, he really, he really didn't get the material. He doesn't understand what communion is all about. So we're not going to allow him to take communion today. They said, it could just wait until he is more prepared. And they said to me, what do you think? Is that okay? Is that a good decision? 
Now, hold that question for just a moment. I will tell you what I told them, but I wanna just kind of touch on our story and come back to the answer because I think they are connected. So in this really strange story, this is sort of one of these stories that is kind of bigger than life and it has something really important to tell us. In this really strange story, Philip is told by an angel to just get up and go to a new place. Philip goes and then he finds this Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch who's reading from the book of Isaiah. So I want to pay a little bit of attention to the Ethiopian eunuch. Who is this guy? Who is this new acquaintance that Philip is making? I think knowing who he is helps us to make sense of what God is doing in the relationship between Philip and the Ethiopian. So first, he's an Ethiopian, as we said. Now, in the first century, Ethiopia didn't mean the same as it does for us today. It's not a country in Africa. Ethiopia was used to refer to anything in Africa south of Egypt, okay? It wasn't, they hadn't drawn all the country borders yet. So Ethiopia was just someplace in Africa south of Egypt. Now, if you know in the book of Acts, the first chapter, Jesus sends the disciples out to Jerusalem and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when we read the Ethiopian, who's from somewhere in Africa, south of Egypt, that might as well be the ends of the earth, right? This is as far away as they, that they could imagine someone being. So here is this opportunity to spread the good news to the ends of the earth. Second, we are told about this Ethiopian that he is a eunuch. Now, this means he has been castrated, and I'm not going to go into a full definition of that. You can explain that to your neighbor or look it up when you get home. Uh, we don't know if this was from birth, how he was born, or if he had been maimed or mistreated some way. We don't know. What we do know is that in the first century, the inability to reproduce left this man outside of the, the traditional understanding of God's blessing. And so remember how Abraham and Sarah, they were told that they would have a son, and then that son would give them these descendants that would be more numerous than the stars in the sky? That was how you understood God blessed you, right? From these descendants that you would have. It was central to understanding God's blessing. It comes through the children that you produce. And so this eunuch's fate or decision or cruel master, by whatever way that happened, he is literally outside of God's blessing in that understanding, all right? Finally, what we need to know about this Ethiopian is that we learn he's a court official of the queen, and he is in charge of the entire treasury. So he has some pretty high status in the hierarchy of the kingdom. But so perhaps it becomes quite confusing, right? To feel this status among humanity, but to feel that you're left unblessed by God and consequently feeling quite insignificant to God. So this Ethiopian just has some like tension in his life, right? And so Philip receives this nudge to go to him and he goes and there we find this really interesting inter interchange. He's reading, like Erica pointed out, and, and the reading from the, the scroll of Isaiah. And when Philip walks up to him, he says, do you understand what you are reading? Now, this may be open to interpretation. Philip might have been patronizing or mocking, like, do you even understand what you're reading? 
But I don't think that's what he's doing there. I think that Philip is full of compassion and of genuine interest. Like, do you understand? Or could I help you understand in some way? And so after Philip's initial question about do you understand, there's this uh, back and forth, right? How can I unless someone guides me? And then the eunuch says, who is this about? Um, and then he said, the, the eunuch says, look, there is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? So do you see how this back and forth is just full of questions, curiosity, energy around what God is doing? So we are left to imagine the whole of that conversation. We don't get every word in detail. We don't know how long it takes. We don't know the back and forth, the stories told, the questions asked, the new insights that both participants are experiencing. But what does seem evident is that this is a, a God moment, for lack of a better term, a God moment. Do you know what I mean? Where the, the spirit just sort of moves in this place. And the Ethiopian asks this great question, a question that helps us to understand how brushed aside he might be feeling. Remember in the prophet Isaiah, it said this, that like a sheep led to the slaughter, like a lamb silent before its shearers. Do you think there's a reason this eunuch was drawn to that particular passage? That maybe he felt like he had been left out like a lamb to the slaughter. That question is, is born out of the pain that this eunuch is feeling. And then it leads to this other question that starts from pain but leads to hope, the hope of maybe belonging. Look, there is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And so for the Ethiopian eunuch, this whole exchange goes from silent humiliation to significance and belonging. Do you know what that feels like? It redefines just who he is. Now he is no longer defined by race or immigration status or sexuality. He is no longer defined by his net worth to the empire. He is a baptized child of God. And this is how he will belong to God. Now, I think this exchange of questions and this uh, interplay or what, whatever the conversation may have been does something very new for Philip as well. Now, if you, you may remember that the story that comes right before this one is the stoning of Stephen. And so Philip's good friend and fellow disciple has been stoned to death because he has been sharing the good news of God in Christ Jesus. And so Philip is probably on that wilderness road, uh, grieving, angry, sad, scared. He's sort of run away to get away. And here the Spirit calls him out and sends him to carry the good news, not to masses of people, but to this one man. And so the, the Spirit maybe gives Philip this sense of worth again in the midst of his pain and grief. I'm just imagining Philip sitting there with the Ethiopian trying to explain the prophet's words to him and then suddenly hearing a word for himself from Isaiah that says, For those who grieve, there will be beauty in the ashes, joy in their mourning, praise in the place of despair. So through questions, through listening, through an openness to the spirit moving among them, two lives are shaped. Perhaps like this Ethiopian, 
just trying to understand who God is, or like Philip, trying to make sense of where God is in the midst of our pain, we are also encountering questions about God in our own lives. What does this mean? Just name the experience from this last year and say, what does this mean? Who is this Jesus? Who is Jesus for? Why is this happening? Why did we go through that painful experience? Why can't I understand God's will for my life? I'm wondering how we meaningfully engage in the questions like this. Are we stopping for conversations that really listen to the questions of another? Or do we default to certain claims about who God is and what God is up to based on our tradition or what we've always known or what we think we are supposed to say? In this story, the questions that are raised are far more important than the answers given. We really aren't given many of the answers. The questions draw us into conversation. The conversations that are honest and authentic draw us into relationship then with one another. And relationships then give us the assurance that we belong. And that is what happens here in this story. Philip doesn't baptize the Ethiopian because he has somehow proven himself that he understands exactly what has happened. Philip baptizes him because in this exchange of ideas, they are led to a relationship between two people and they realize that they are both called children of God. Now, I'll tell you that this story has been interpreted differently over the years. If you have your own Bible with you or if you go home and look it up in your Bible, you will notice that if you, if you tick along through the verses, if you'll skip from verse 36 to 38. 37 is missing. Just go home and look in your Bible. 37 is missing. If you follow the footnote down to the bottom of the page, it will tell you that there is a verse that somebody stuck in But it wasn't authentic to the very original Greek text, so it was taken out and made as a footnote. So what does that verse that somebody tried to insert say? In verse 36, this outsider, this Ethiopian eunuch, asks to be baptized, right? Just stops the chariot and baptizes him. So the scribe stopped and added a sentence. The scribe that was going along reprinting all the words, he said, well, that can't be right, that they just stopped the chariot and baptized him. And so in the added verse, after the eunuch says, look, there is water, what is to prevent me from being baptized? It says this, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then it picks back up at 38, and it goes on to say that he is baptized and the chariot and all all that happened. So do you know what adding verse 37 there does? It puts a condition on baptism. It puts a condition on the grace of God. You can have it if. Now that verse is not in the original text. It was added about 150 years later by some scribe who perhaps didn't understand this free gift of God's grace for all people to the ends of the earth. This scribe's little addition made the gift of grace something the eunuch had to earn. 
by proving that he believed in a specific way. The story with verse 37 added makes Philip some sort of gatekeeper, right, to the promises of Jesus. But without verse 37, as we have read it today, it makes Philip a witness, one who simply shared a story of how he saw God at work and entered into relationship with another child of God. Now, this is as relevant for us today as it was in that scribe's day. There are some people who would read God's word found in the Bible as conditional. You maybe know some of them. They want to make sure that if you claim a Christian faith, you believe and you respond in certain ways, that you can prove yourself and your understanding of your faith. But this was never the case with Jesus. This was never the case with his disciples. Jesus entered into the lives of people and spoke about a God of love and grace for all. A savior who was humbled to the point of giving his life for the whole world. That is the story we are called to tell for the entire world, the world that stretches out to the ends of the earth. So let me come back to Seth in that fifth grade First Communion and the question his parents asked me just moments before worship. We're not going to let him take communion. He hasn't behaved. He doesn't understand. What do you think, Pastor Sarah? Is this okay? You probably know how I responded, right? I said Seth absolutely should receive the gift of God's grace in Holy Communion this morning. I said that if Holy Communion were dependent dependent on my behavior or my understanding of the material, I would never have taken it the first time or any other time throughout my whole life. In our Lutheran understanding of the, our, our faith and our practice of worship, we have these two sacraments, right? Baptism and Holy Communion. I like to break that down, that word sacrament down into two words, sacred moments. Sacred moments in which we encounter and experience uh, the living God, where through water and wine and bread, we can touch and taste and feel and know that God strengthens us for a life of faith. So what Seth received that day, what, what you have received m multiple times throughout your life, is not conditional upon your understanding of it. No one, not one person not the most theologically astute or the most morally righteous among us are ever fully prepared or ready or in complete understanding of what is happening here. There is some mystery involved. What we do know is that we can trust that these gifts of God are given freely to us, that in these gifts we encounter a living God who knows us, who loves us, to whom we belong. A God who invites us to engage more deeply in the questions with our questions about Jesus and doing so in the context of the community of faith that bears his name. And so for this good news, for you and for I, we will never stop saying, thanks be to God. Amen.